Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Uh, Dave, it's, uh, let's see, June 14th. Uh, how's it going out there? It's great. It's it's nice and hot out here. You know, yeah. I love the heat. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's going really good. Uh, I spent today doing a lot of yard work, so mm-hmm. nice and hot and <laughs> very nice. ready to sit down with a nice iced coffee. Very good. Yeah, it's it's uh, really hot out here as well. We're supposed to be triple digits tomorrow, which, oh boy. Uh, which usually isn't until later in the summer. So yeah, starting early this year, um, I have a I have a good cup of uh, some Door County coffee going. I have a it's a new flavor for me. I have vanilla cappuccino. Okay, really really good. Vanilla is like uh, the the extent of of where I'll be accepting of a that's, flavor. That's where you draw the line. <laughs> that's pretty much where I draw the line because we have we have vanilla creamer that we have in our coffee and it, it's. Subtle. It's not quite some of the other things that you you like to drink, but right. Good, 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 good. Very good. How about you? You got something going there? I got my French roast iced coffee, and it's my second cup of the day, so it, nice. it's good times. Yeah, same here. This is my second cup, and and after this, I start my work day um, in a couple hours here. So this should get me through most of the evening. <laughs> so, but I'm uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. You know, of course, the last episode we talked with Erin Spencer about mm-hmm. Pride Month, and one of the things she mentioned in that episode is is some collaborative events that that they're doing with some other uh, organizations, and and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. But um, but we have Melody Martinez coming by the Vet yeah. Tech Cafe today. I'm really excited for this. Melody is a CVT and the proud first-generation daughter of Afro-Caribbean working-class immigrants from the Dominican Republic. She began her career in small animal practice in 2007, and in addition to working in small animal clinics and in emergency and critical care, uh, mad respect, that's, you know, of course, our <laughs> wheelhouse. That's um, right. Melody also worked as a caregiver at Farm Sanctuary, um, which I know you probably love because you did some of that work yeah, as well, yeah. uh, where she oversaw the medical care of over 800 rescued farm animals at their New York shelter, which is just incredible. Yeah. In 2015, she took a break from working as a technician and pivoted uh, to a career in nonprofit program management, community organizing, and fundraising with organizations dedicated to racial and economic justice. Uh, And she currently works as an organizational consultant, providing customized training, organizational assessments, and executive coaching to organizations wanting to improve their diversity, inclusion, and racial equity outcomes. Comes and um, I'll, I do want to talk a little bit about that today as well. Yeah. And then she continues occasional work in vet med as a relief technician and through volunteerism with farm animal sanctuaries and organizations like My Dog is My Home, which support people experiencing homelessness with their pets. She's dedicated to amplifying the voices of anyone on the margins, celebrating the strengths and gifts of people of color and other traditionally underestimated groups. And she's driven by her own experiences and by a fierce belief in the transformative and healing power of justice. So 
Melody, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Uh, what can we get you for a, a cup of coffee or caffeinated beverage of choice? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I think uh, my my caffeinated beverage of choice is, of course, <laughs> coffee. Um, every morning, I've got a, a nice medium roast coffee, usually a Peruvian or Colombian brew with just some steamed soy milk. Mm, um, nice. Pretty basic, but it's got to be near black, but not quite. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. I just need that little hit of sugar to make yeah. sure that I can I can really take it. There you Perfect. go. There you go. I love it. And if you don't mind uh, taking us through your career path, it sounds like you've done some some really really interesting things, and especially the last couple of years, you've been doing you know quite a bit different work, uh, maybe mm-hmm. still under the veterinary medicine umbrella. So if you don't mind, take a few moments and just kind of. What got you into vet med, where you started, all the way through where you are now? Yeah, um, so I got my start kind of non-traditionally. I didn't, I didn't grow up with animals in the house. My family, being from the Dominican Republic, you know, uh, most dogs, uh, you know, that my mom grew up with were, were dogs that lived outside. Um, and they, you know, they were kind of taken care of by the community. And I actually didn't get hmm. my first dog until I was 14. But I really, you know, I grew up in a predominantly white, middle class, uh, even though my family was working class, poor, working class. Grew up in a predominantly white middle class town in Massachusetts, and uh, dogs were just kind of like the symbol of what it means to be American. And so I was like, "Oh, we're not truly, you know, we haven't truly made it here <laughs> until <laughs> until we've got a dog of our own." And, and that dog didn't come till I was fourteen. Even though I had I had an affinity towards animals, you know, I'd make my mom buy like bird seeds out at the grocery store so we could feed like the sparrows outside. Yeah. You know, I was always that weird kid that was like curious about birds and squirrels and other animals, but I actually got my start in vet med it wasn't till I was in college. First year of college, I started working at an optometrist's office, so human medicine, and I was a medical assistant there. And eventually, after a few years, I kind of wanted to, to do something different. And a colleague had said, well, you love animals, don't you? Why don't you go work at a veterinary hospital? And I had just never thought of that. I had never even, it, it didn't occur to me that I could do what I was doing in the optometry office at a veterinarian's office. Hmm. Despite the fact that I took my dog to the vet and I knew that that was like a, a career path, a thing that could be done. I uh, didn't see it for myself. I never saw anyone who looked like me in in my dog's, mm. you know, veterinary clinic. So I actually applied to a job, a receptionist position, and I got it. And from there, it just, everything just started to snowball. I ended up working my way to an unlicensed veterinary assistant. Um, and I did that for five years, eventually uh, supporting doctors in surgery at a, at a small animal clinic. And I stayed at the same clinic for, for about five, five and a half years. Um, so from a receptionist to an assistant and then eventually, you know, as an unlicensed tech, essentially, um, working working in surgery. I was in college throughout that whole time, kind of wanted to be a vet, um, was really thinking about being a vet. So taking some of those prerequisite courses you need to get into vet school. But eventually I kind of got the itch to work with large animals. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew I didn't want to, I knew I didn't, you know, most of the large animal hospitals are at college campuses, at veterinary college campuses. And so I knew I didn't necessarily want to do that. Um, it kind of coincided with me becoming vegan. And so I got a job at Farm Sanctuary as an animal caregiver. And I did that for a couple of years. And, and for folks who don't know, that is one of the largest shelters for large animals, for farmed animals in particular in the country, um, mm. and, and the first. So their sanctuary in Watkins Glen, New York, I worked there for a few years, learned all about chickens and turkeys and cows and pigs. And we're talking like, you know, 900 pound Duroc pigs 
pigs, <laughs> you know, all, 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 all the animals you can think of, goats, sheep on a farm, and, 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 and these animals living there, you know, beyond very, very old, some of them, beyond the years that they were intended to live. And around that, you know, kind of what I was winding down my time there, I was actually really interested in going back into veterinary medicine, going back into a clinical setting instead of like a shelter setting, uh, something just more focused where I was um, doing more medical things. And I actually knew that I was going to move to Portland, Oregon, where I live now. And I wanted to get my license before I did that. And in Massachusetts, I think this is still true because uh, the legislation hasn't passed yet. You could get licensed if you had, you know, however many hours of experience. And, and I had some college level chemistry and biology and uh, microbiology courses because I was, you know, uh, in school for veterinary medicine. And so I actually sat for the VTNE and passed and became licensed through that kind of like you know, grandfathering way of being licensed. I moved to Oregon and I got a job at an emergency clinic. Um, and oh my gosh, <laughs> 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 what a culture shock, you know? I, I like many young uh, vet techs who'd never worked in emergency, just like was so afraid and intimidated, um, but also just completely in awe of what was possible within medicine. And uh, it was it was such a trip and it was so incredible. But eventually I had my reasons for stepping out of that role. And, and it actually, the reasons for leaving ended up being reasons um, that took me out of veterinary medicine entirely for a while. And then I pivoted, uh, you know, I left, I left that job and I pivoted to a nonprofit job actually at a food bank. And there I was encouraged and really people were talking about systemic issues like racism and classism, things that prevented access to food and nutrition and housing, the same things that often prevent people from getting care for their animals. And uh, I went on to become a volunteer at a lot of other organizations as well, was training to be a, a racial justice facilitator. And all of that actually eventually turned into me doing more work, coaching and talking with organizations, training, holding dialogues with organizations around racial justice and economic justice. And I worked in philanthropy for a while, which was a big driver of that as well. And eventually started my own business, work that I do now um, to, to do some of that racial justice consulting and coaching work with businesses and organizations, governments, you know, local governments, things like that, where I really talk about like, how do we how do we change the culture of this place to really be more inclusive, more diverse, and really more racially equitable and accessible to people across across different identities. Hmm. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of what I do now. And in my, you know, in when I'm not busy, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I, uh, do a lot of volunteering uh, with Farmed Animal Sanctuary, so I, I do some of that. I also just um, work with an organization here in Portland called Paw Team that really brings no-cost or free or low-cost veterinary services to people experiencing financial hardship or homelessness and do some relief work as well and, and a lot of mentoring of young people um, as young as five to, you know, 20 um, who want to enter the veterinary field. Um, That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Super cool. You know, something you said in there towards the end, you know, the, the work you're doing, you know, for diversity and equity and inclusion and such, I, I would like to give a shout out to the ASPCA where I work. We got a, a letter from our diversity, equity and inclusion committee uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they decided to make Juneteenth, which is coming up later this week, a holiday company wide, which is super cool. And of course, you know, I, I work for the, the Poison Control Center. It's a 24 hour hotline. And so we never stop. They can't just give us all that day off. But what they 
do for for paid holidays is if you are scheduled to work that day, it's it's you know just like everywhere else, it's time and a half. But then they give you some time in the week before, the week of, the week after, an extra paid day off for reflection of that holiday and. I've never worked anywhere that not not just did that kind of thing, but also like looked within to the extent that they, that they do, yeah. and it's it's just it, it really is incredible, and it also like it actually can be done. You know, it's it's just it's a it's an amazing amazing feeling to be part of an organization that is that is doing that and and is constantly evaluating and reevaluating their policies and their procedures and just how they can make it better for their employees company wide. So I, I can only imagine the work you're doing and seeing you know some of that come to fruition. You know, with organizations that you've worked for, I bet is also really really cool to see it from that perspective as well yeah it's definitely it's definitely part of the rewarding nature of the work is when that shift happens and and organizational leaders and and you know staff just really think about like what is it that they look inwardly what is it yeah. that we need to address about ourselves what are we not doing what could we be doing and what would it look like to go out on a limb and try this you mm-hmm. know I always think a lot of people are fearful of change because they <laughs> think it's forever and it's I always tell people you know what if we pilot this? What if you just tried this for this one time or these three months or for half the year or whatever? And we'll assess, you know, we'll be like scientists about this. We'll assess right. at the end whether this was beneficial and and whether we should continue to do it and what the impact was on, on staff. I think that that's a great point is, you know, we, we always fear change and change is like a, a, a really hard thing to do. It's that fear of the unknown of, of if we change this, is this going to be permanent? And Nothing's ever permanent, right? It, I mean, we, we change from one way to another way, so we can certainly change either back or change to something completely different. So, you know, change, in my mind, I, I'm one of those people that, that fears change. Uh, it takes a lot for me to, to make that change of, you know, not just for what we're talking about, but for anything, really. And I have to make my real lengthy pros and cons list of <laughs> of what happens if I change and how how devastating is it going to be if it doesn't work out? So, you know, the the fear of change, I think, is something we really need to work on to realize that change isn't always bad. So, everything that you've been doing, it sounds like you've you've worked in all kinds of facets of the of the veterinary world. Where do you see the veterinary technician profession right now? We this is a question we kind of ask all of our guests of what you think are things that are going great for us. What are things that we need to work on, and how do we make that change happen? I think there's 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 a lot of things that are going great, and I think a few a lot more things we need to address for sure. I think some of those things that are going great is is, is particularly for vet for vet techs just seeing the increase in knowledge that is happening, mm. the increase in specialties. I mean, just this proliferation of VTSs and and ways in which I think, you know, you've all highlighted veterinary, uh, veterinary technicians who have gone on to do things that are non-traditional, you know, mm. within, within the community and who have expanded their knowledge and are really kind of pioneers in a way of doing, you know, and I kind of don't love using that word, but they're, they're kind of leading, you know, this, this move towards uh, a new way a uh, new way of being in this profession. And I think part of that is, you know, I'm, I'm constantly amazed by the friends I have, colleagues I have who are learning more, who are getting their VTSs, or who are going outside of even the, the profession to gain other experiences. People who have become dog trainers, veterinary social work, grief counselors. There's just so much, I think, that is where I see the profession kind of growing um, and realizing a, a more holistic view of medicine, mm. um, that it's not just 
just, you know, the science and the medicine that, that happens at the hospital, but it's like, what happens with your dog at home? And how do we build a profession that really acknowledges some of the things that are part of our profession that are even more people-centered, I would say, you know, like grief being one of those things, acknowledging mm-hmm. pet loss and grief and all of that. Some of those issues, you know, the turnover, the burnout, the mental health issues are clearly front and center. Um, and, and the reasons for those issues, I think, are varied. Um, I think there's some that we can point to very easily. Pay, technician pay <laughs> is, is a huge one. But uh, all of those have, uh, I think, are, are like the biggest obstacles. We're kind of at a crossroads, I feel like, you know, every, every few days I take a look, and especially as a relief tech, I, I take a look and I see all of these jobs. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's the same where you are, but it probably is. There is just like so much opportunity, so many, so much job availability. And I feel like, you know, I've been a tech since about 2007. It's been a while. And I'm like, wow, it's just, there are more jobs now than Mm -hmm. there were back then. Um, And there are fewer technicians and there are fewer assistants. (laughs) And it's a huge problem. And I think we've got to talk about the turnover and the pay and the burnout and the closing of veterinary technician programs and also the internal culture of hospitals, the, particularly hospitals, because um, mm-hmm. we know that vet techs can work in, in so many, you know, wherever there's a vet, there's hopefully a few vet techs. <laughs> um, but uh, there's, you know, there's the internal culture of places. We, we attribute a lot of mental health to the clients, I think, like what the clients say, what the clients do. And I think we've got to look systemically too and internally at our the culture of our organizations, the culture of our businesses and clinics, the racism, the classism, you know, that's in inherent in, in many of our hospitals and cultures and, and the way we, we treat each other. And I think in addition to that, thinking systemically about like we, we live in a, in a country, at least in the U.S., where people spend a ton of money on their animals. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and yet, you know, we know that uh, good quality medicine is costing thousands of dollars um, mm-hmm. and that we are living in a time of economic crisis when a lot of people can't afford that. Um, and we're in this work to, you know, preserve the human animal bond. And to what extent are some of the issues we're, we're dealing with, like burnout, turnover, mental health, also a part of the systemic issues of, of yeah. people not being able to comply with our recommendations and, and be able to afford them and us having to present choices that we are uncomfortable with, mm. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Where that intersection is is very, very important. But M- Melody, one of the reasons we uh, we reached out to you today to, to you know be on this episode was your work with the uh, the MCVMA, the Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association. If you wouldn't mind for for our listeners that may not be familiar, would you just talk about what the MCVMA is, maybe what its goals are, and what your role is with that organization? Yeah, yeah. So the Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association is a group um, that kind of exists to lead. It's a, it's a 501c3, so it's a nonprofit that exists to lead the veterinary profession kind of towards the racial and ethnic diversity, equity, and inclusion that is that, that our profession needs in order to serve a multiracial and multicultural society. So it's, it's basically we exist by acknowledging that our society looks very multiracial, very mm-hmm. multicultural, and that in order to really serve and understand the needs of that society, of the society we live in, our profession needs to reflect that. And, and right now, our profession doesn't and hasn't historically reflected that, where 95% of veterinarians are white and less than 2% are black, the remaining percentage being, you know, Asian American, Native American, um, Latinx. Um, and so MCVMA really 
exists to create that space, that awareness, and do the work of leading the profession towards the diversity, inclusion, and equity that is needed to really do our work in this current world that we live in. Folks can get involved with us, you know, in many ways. We can talk a little bit about that later, but the history of the MCVMA was that it actually started by Dr. Kara Williams and Dr. Rachel Cesar Martinez, and um, they were members of veterinarians as one inclusive community for empowerment or voice, um, which is a, a, a group that's within uh, veterinary colleges for people of color and for allies who really want to talk about discrimination and racial justice and really create an inclusive community. And after they left vet school, there, there just wasn't a space for them. There wasn't a table for them to sit at where they could see other veterinarians who looked like them and who had their experiences. And so they created MCVMA. It actually started as a Facebook group and eventually within a couple of years turned into the nonprofit that it is today with, with a large board of about 15 people, of which um, all but me are doctors. And <laughs> and I point that out because it's it's rare. A lot of organizations that are started by veterinarians um, don't really include veterinary technicians or veterinary assistants in their membership, let alone in their leadership. And so MCVMA kind of stands out in that way where, um, you know, we, we want assistants and receptionists and vet techs and doctors and um, folks within the veterinary profession to, to be a part of our work, um, not just our membership, but our leadership, because we recognize there's a lot of different perspectives uh, within the, within the profession from different positions within it. And so MCVMA is, is uh, really kind of at the forefront of, of that sort of work to look at what has been the history of veterinary medicine and really um, help bring the industry forward and into the kind of industry it needs to be to really serve all of us. In in our last few episodes, we've had uh, Aaron Spencer, who's on the board for Pride VMC. We've had Carla Fernandez, who's on the Not One More Vet board, who's also a tech. And you're the third person we've talked to in, in like less than a month that's been on the board of these, like you said, the primarily DVM-driven organizations. And I, I think that's fantastic that these organizations are letting us to have a voice at the table. How important is it that we as technicians have a voice or representative on these boards, especially for for yours for yours in particular. I think with with MCVMA, I mean there's this there's the acknowledgement that the veterinary profession is not uh, very racially or ethnically diverse. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of it is, is strength in numbers. Part of it is knowing that like if we're gonna talk about race and ethnicity and and um, injustice and all of that within the veterinary profession, we're gonna need to look beyond just the doctors, right? Because we know that there are veterinarians, uh, veterinary technicians and assistants and receptionists of color, probably less of us in these positions than there are as doctors. But I think it's it's also important because many times in our experiences of the workplace, when we're looking at just uh, certain identities or intersection of identities, we may, you know, you may not ever know uh, another, another doctor, for example, for some of these doctors who they may never work with another associate or another doctor who looks like them or who's mm. not white. And the only other person, you know, they see in their in their environment who's not white is is a technician or a receptionist. And so there's a lot of camaraderie, a lot of experiences that we share and some ways in which they're different because I think there's power differentials in our positions as well. But I think it's just important um, for these organizations that are kind of inviting us to the table. Um, it's it's this kind of coalition building, this, this camaraderie and this togetherness that I think really allows us to be more powerful when we share our experiences with each other and when we start thinking of solutions. Absolutely. Mm. And when you think about like, you know, you said 95% of DVMs 
are going to be white and, you know, the, the other stats that you gave, is that ratio kind of the same in the technician world or is it is it different? I, in my personal experience, I would say there's probably more non-white technicians than there are non-white doctors. But I, I obviously, I, I have a small sample size. I'm sure you have more more heart concrete numbers. It's it's interesting because when we look at even shelter medicine or animal welfare work that I've done, it's it's pretty similar. It's just very mm. not not inclusive, not diverse, not racially or ethnically <laughs> diverse. Um, and I, you know, I hear a lot from uh, DVMs that are colleagues um, that I've worked with in the past and, and folks I work with now who note that they think the actual that veterinary technicians are tend to be more white. Hmm. I don't know if that's true. I, I we don't have any uh, to my knowledge. I don't think we have any hard data on oh, that. Okay. I've only I mean, I can tell for myself for a long time. I was the only person of color I ever worked with was myself. <laughs> and it was, you know, a, I, I can count kind of on one hand the other technicians and doctors that I've worked with who are people of color. Uh, it's It's not very many. That's for sure. When it comes to I think we're looking at even ratio wise, I wonder, you know, I think it leans heavily towards um, most animal professions lean heavily towards uh, white populations. And I mm. think there's there's a reason for that. I think there's history tied into that. I think there's economic things tied into that. You know, I think there's like history of land ownership, history of, you know, access to to animals, just access to education. So, you know, I think that there's definitely reasons why the profession looks the way it does. And I don't think those reasons are valid anymore. I think it's time to break through those barriers and to mm. really address those issues. But yeah, it, it's it's not very common. It's not very common to see people of color in this profession, period. Yeah. And, and I was, I mean, I, I spent 20 years up in New Hampshire and not only was I the only male technician that I even knew of in the area, but never saw a person of color that I worked with, doctor, technician. Now that I've moved down to North Carolina, that those numbers have obviously changed. Being in a, a, a place that's more ethnically diverse than, than New Hampshire, I think New Hampshire and <laughs> Orange County, where Jeff is, are yeah. probably yeah. two of the least <laughs> ethnically diverse places in the world. So I, I have seen that change since I've been down here. And, it, and, it's, and it's great to like see that and work with people of different backgrounds and, and different ethnicities and kind of learn how they got here and you know kind of what we talk about here like I, I find that fascinating to, to figure out why people are are in the field and, and what what drives them yeah absolutely melody with the with the MCVMA how do you so you said this kind of started as a Facebook group and and I'm sure you know here in 2021 word gets out about you know this kind of thing probably more than it ever has but how does the organization I'm going to use the word recruit for lack of a, a better term but let people know that they exist, be part of the organization. How can we, you know, as, as Dave and I here at the Vet Tech Cafe, how can we help get word out or get involved? Like, how can we help that organization continue to move forward? Yeah, so we do a lot. Um, we're pretty active on our social media. And I okay. would say that many of us have, have connections within the industry. You know, we've got mm -hmm. a vet on our board who um, is a professor at the University of Arizona College of Veterinary Medicine. We've got all those vets that have graduated from different schools <laughs> And, and work in different uh, different parts of veterinary medicine as well. I think we as board members end up talking a lot about our, our, about our work um, and have connections in that way. But our Facebook page, our fa we have a Facebook group um, that folks are um, you know welcome to join. We will be opening up our membership soon, so we'll have membership mm. and other ways to connect with us directly. Um, like I said, we have our social media, so our Instagram is Multicultural VMA, and we're pretty active on there. We we love for folks to share our content, to reach out. It's often how people hear about us or how we uh, get the 
word out that we're recruiting for for new board members and new um, supporters, new volunteers. We're on LinkedIn as well. And we have a conference actually coming up in November. Our first conference is going to be virtual and it's going to be uh, this November and it's going to feature all black and indigenous and people of color speakers. And it's going to we'll have race approved talks that are just based on medicine and some that are based on DEI or diversity, equity and inclusion. So they're going to be a mixture of conversations of content that really features and um, the expertise and really helps us amplify the people of color who are in the profession right now um, and who are, you know, specialists or doing work in the profession, technicians and doctors, and also have veterinary professionals and, and folks who are not veterinary professionals who are experts in diversity, equity and inclusion work and who are kind of leading that work. It can help the profession really move forward in that way. Um, so that conference is coming up in November. It's going to be virtual so you can access it from anywhere. And yeah, we're really, we're really excited about, um, about that. I think more and more folks are learning about us. I, I myself didn't know about MCVMA until about, I think it was November of last year. Actually, it was before that. It was a, kind of on the heels of the Wake Up Vet Med initiative that we did or that MCVMA did before I joined back in uh, the summer of 2020 is when I first heard about them. This is when I first heard that anyone was even talking about issues related Mm. to race or ethnicity or things that I could, you know, that for a long time, I just kind of kept to myself, held to myself because there was no place to relate. There was no avenue to talk about these issues as, as, as people of color experience them within the veterinary profession. So yeah, we're, we're really active on social medias. We love for people to share our content. We love for people to reach out. You know, it was just exciting. Um, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I, I have it at your, you know, I'm a subscriber and I listen oh, as often you. as I can. It's just great. So when you, when you reached out, I was like, no way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so excited. And, you know, we, we, we're, we're going to continue to grow. We have a few other projects in the work. Um, we're kind of focusing on our conference right now. Um, but I think people are hearing about us because, it's it's high time for us to talk about yeah. issues like race and ethnicity and racial discrimination within veterinary medicine and LGBTQ issues as well. Um, and the intersection of disability, all of these things within because, you know, we're people and we exist in our fullness in veterinary medicine. So it's not like vet med is apart from the people who who make up the profession. So these issues, we, we they're they're there with us and it's time that we address them. So follow us, you know, amplify our stories. Mm-hmm. Um I think that that's always helpful work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and, and let us know about the conference too. Uh, we'll, we'll find yeah, a link say. for it because we're huge conference nerds as, as well. So, <laughs> so we'll for sure help get that message out. Yeah, definitely. So Melody, how, how did you get involved with MCVMA? Did somebody reach out to you and say, hey, we need a board member and we would like a technician? Or did you know somebody on the board that, that kind of reached out to you? Or how did that work? Great question. I actually, you know, around the time of the George Floyd's murder and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey, um, you know, you, though you were there, <laughs> the world, you know, the, the, the world, world was there. Yeah, the world was there around that time. You know, I, I, I had been following the AVMA actually on on Facebook and um, I had recently thought about going um, going back to school and, and maybe going to vet school. So I was really re- like thinking back, like, should I finish those those last prereqs and actually apply to vet school? Um, part of this was a kind of so- somewhat related to my departure from vet med for a few years. You know, I was, you know, everyone was aware of like, who's saying something, who's putting 
signs out? Who, which businesses are acknowledging that Black Lives Matter, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, and there was a thread, I think, where the AVMA posted something and there were a ton of comments from veterinarians who were displeased with their position or, or some who were pleased. And I was just, I think someone tagged MCVMA in one of those comments. Um, and so I clicked it because I was curious and it was a, a link to the Facebook page and the Facebook group. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this place existed. I had no idea this organization existed. And so I just started following them. And then I joined the group and just kind of, you know, did the, the whole social media lurking thing where you're just like, I'm here and I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out what you're about. Um, <laughs> and they ended up putting up a post about they were seeking new board members. It was towards the end of last year. They were seeking new board members. And the, the post said, we welcome technicians, assistants, anyone within the veterinary profession to apply. And I was just floored by that. I was like, wait, what? You you want you want us there? I filled out the application and you know, I was a, I was timid, a little intimidated about it even though, you know, I see uh, once you've been in this profession long enough, the dot, the, the, you know, doctors and techs and like, we're peers, you know what I mean? Like, there's this way where I'm like, I'm not, you know, I know what your role is. And I know what my role is. You know, I don't think that as a doctor, you're, a, you're better than me or that, you know, or there's such thing as just a vet tech or anything like that. Right. And so I was like, we're peers, but I, I had this kind of intimidation. I was like, oh my gosh, what if there aren't any other vet techs who apply? Or what if, you know, what if I'm the only one? And, and even in my application, I wrote like, you know, I wrote some things around how I became licensed because I, that has, it's come to my attention that even that can be an issue within our profession or around folks who don't have a formal degree. Um, in veterinary technology, and I think that there's a lot of com a lot of competition and a lot of ways in which that's like internal like fighting that happens and, and and is a problem that we need to address as well. But what was interesting about it was that you know here I was intimidated to apply, and I met with them. They interviewed me. They loved me, and they said, "Please join us." And and I did become the only technician on the board. And I have not once felt there has not been one moment on this board where I have felt. Like I wasn't part of the team or I was like different. It's just, it's a, it's an incredibly generous, empathetic, brilliant group of people at MCVMA. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of, that's how I, that's how I found out who they were and, and, and I got involved. And I, it was just interesting because I was like, all of a sudden I saw this kind of marrying of my veterinary background with my current work. Um, mm. outside of veterinary medicine. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can put these two things that I love together and be useful to the profession that I love in a different way than I have been to this moment. So that's super cool. Um, you know, we, we mentioned briefly earlier, our, our last episode was with uh, Aaron Spencer and we talked about Pride VMC and, and unbeknownst to us, she, she mentioned while we were chatting, I think there's a, a future collaboration maybe coming later this year. It might be in conjunction with your conference that Pride VMC and MCVMA are kind of working together on a project or an initiative, if you will. And I was wondering if you could just talk about that from the MCVMA perspective and how two different organizations um, working with you know marginalized people can kind of come together because there is some some overlap and some intersection there as well. But I just think that's so cool that you know that it's not just one group working on their thing and one group the other group working on their thing, but there there can be this 
collaboration to collectively move forward? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of which collaboration in particular we're thinking about with Pride VMC. <laughs> we have so many, so, so many, many okay. different different projects that we're working on, not just with Pride VMC, but with other groups as well. Um, I know like one of the biggest things that we worked on that they were they were a partner in and a part of was the Wake Up Vet Med initiative that um, launched last year. And I'm I haven't said it yet, but I'm the social justice committee chair for the MCVMA. Um, and part of my work is is really thinking about Wake Up Vet Med, that initiative that started before I joined, but it continues to this day and working with those nine affinity organizations that, that helped us um, bring that uh, Wake Up Vet Med initiative or campaign to life um, and, and continue to work on it. And so Pride VMC was a big part of that. And and really what, um, for the listeners who don't know what Wake Up Vet Med is, it's kind of started last year in June of 2020, shortly after, you know, the, the murders of Ahmaud, um, Aubrey, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And um, MCVMA partnered with these nine affinity organizations to request that the AVMA make diversity, equity and inclusion kind of front and center at their July 2020 House of Delegates meeting and beyond really was saying like, we encourage you, we need you to take a position on racial justice. Um, and, and those nine affinity organizations were integral to that. Um, not only was Pride VMC involved, but the uh, Pride, the student chapter Pride uh, VMC was also involved. Um, National Association of Black Vets, uh, Black DVM Network, Latinx Veterinary Medical Association, Native American Veterinary Medical Association, uh, the Association of Asian uh, medical vet, veterinary medical professionals, the Women's Veterinary Leadership Development Initiative. So, like, and 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 Voice, that initial initial group that our founders were part of. Um, so, like, these nine affinity organizations, really representing different bodies of people within veterinary medicine, came together and said, women's issues, LGBTQ issues, Native issues, Latin American issues, Asian issues, Black issues. We're all, you know, we're all in this together, and we need the AVMA to take a position and do something about the history of, of racial injustice within veterinary medicine. And that Wake Up Vet Med initiative grew into this massive thing. You know, by late June, we had put out the survey. We collected 400 stories of individual experiences of racism within vet med. We presented a statement and a list of actionables. Like, here's what we think that the veterinary community needs to do, starting with the AVMA, to address systemic racism in veterinary medicine. Um, we had a petition out that garnered thousands of support of supporters, um, signatures from individuals and from different groups within VetMed. And we really we started meeting with the AVMA board and staff to discuss the concerns and the steps forward. Like, how are we going to really start addressing this? You know, we eventually launched a, a, a huge campaign to encourage veterinary professionals and students to reach out to their local VMAs, to encourage their AVMA delegates to take to take this seriously, to take diversity, equity, and inclusion seriously. And about 20, I think it was like 20 VMAs were contacted. Uh, many of those became uh, supporters of our Wake Up Vet Med initiative. Um, and eventually we, 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 you know, the House of Delegates meeting happened. We showed up, we showed the video um, that it's called a profession in crisis. It's, it's now had over like 50,000 views. It's on YouTube. Mm. And it really, ex um, it shows some of those kind of highlights, some of those things that we saw and heard in our survey where people shared their experiences of racism and discrimination within veterinary medicine. And the result of all of that uh, was that the House approved some proposed DEI recommendations they hired a, a consultant to help evaluate um, diversity, equity, and inclusion within the 
the AVMA, and we ended up getting supporters across industry, you know, colleges of veterinary medicine, student organizations, veterinary hospitals, like hospital groups, businesses, industry hills, like, you know, like big industries like, like that ended up supporting us and continue to support this initiative. And, you know, we would be remiss to say that that wasn't without the help of these other affinity organizations like Pride, who said, you know, this issue is also our issue, right? Because we understand the intersection of race and gender and sexuality really helped helped us lead this forward. And we continue to do work with many of these groups in different ways. We continue to collaborate on not just Wake Up Vet Med, but events and other initiatives, some, some things that they steer and invite us to, some things that we steer and invite them to, things that we work on collaboratively. It's been really wonderful to see just how big the outpouring of support for MCVMA and for Wake Up Vet Med has been, but the, the growth that came to a lot of these affinity organizations and a lot of the um, the work that they do, which is um, you know very important as well. So it's just it's it's great. It's like we're we're dealing with the issues at different areas within you know if we think of all these issues as a river, we're all positioned at different areas of this river trying to trying to like mm. push against a current. You know, yeah. that's um, a great analogy. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and you mentioned in there calling on the AVMA to take a position, and we were talking uh, before we pushed the record button today about the the article that you posted in the MCVMA Facebook group yesterday about the AMA, uh, the American Medical Association, taking a stand and and saying, this is what we are going to do now. And there's still being some backlash by, you know, a small cohort of of medical professionals. But we were talking about, you know, the AVMA is sometimes a leader, sometimes a follower. But if they're ever going to follow something, hopefully it would be the AMA. So just just briefly (laughs) briefly talk about that a little bit and, and just what maybe what that could look like, if you will. Yeah, I mean, what I think what's great about what the American Medical Association is doing is they're, you know, the medical profession, the human medical profession is is increasingly more racially and ethnically diverse than the veterinary profession. Mm-hmm. And yet still, not anywhere where they want to be or need to be, um, there's still a lot of discrimination in medicine, in human medicine. There's um, a lot of injustice. There's a lot of systemic issues, policy issues as well, as well as, you know, how patients experience medicine. There's lots of statistics, lots of studies that have shown and proven the discrimination within the medical profession. And the AMA is basically saying, two months ago said, like, we're going to actually deal with this. We're going to create some policies, some standards for for hospitals, um, some standards for doctors around uh, recognizing uh, racial bias, recognizing systemic issues, and creating some standards for addressing addressing those issues within our practice and within um, the the medical uh, profession as a whole. And I think that that is just you know uh, when the MCVMA presented the AVMA with a list of actionables, things that the AVMA could do to really start addressing uh, racism within veterinary medicine. It included that. It said like let's let's include some policies, some standards. Standards. You know, you're a leader in the profession. Uh, it's time that we have some standards around how we work with communities of color, how we diversify our profession, um, and how we not only diversify the profession, but make it one that it's inclusive and, and equitable. And by inclusive, I don't mean just one that invites us and says, you've got to live in this in this environment that doesn't support you and doesn't see you, but one that 
thinks about shared leadership and trust and respect. And really, you know, oftentimes people think diversity and inclusion is really about inviting people to the table, but not addressing why people leave and why mm -hmm. people can't stay um, or and, and, and addressing the internal culture. Right. So it's like it's not enough to invite someone to to an environment that will be violent or that will be uncomfortable for them. We've got to address why the environment is that way so that it can truly be inclusive, so that it can truly respect and trust the brilliance and the unique perspectives that individuals of color bring to bring to the table and bring to our profession. So I just think the a AMA is, is doing this work. And, you know, there are people within the, the American Medical Association, human doctors who are pushing up against this and who are defensive and, and saying, you know, this isn't real. There's no racism, even though against, you know, against tons and tons of proof and studies and over years of, of this being true. I just hope that the AMA, you know, the, those leading this initiative at the AMA and, and leading this work can hold fast. Um, and I hope that it serves as an example for the veterinary profession as well, that it's possible to do this. And even though if it's uncomfortable, change is an opportunity. Mm. Change is, isn't necessarily a challenge. It's it's challenging, but it is an opportunity. Just thinking back to your career, you know, we talked with Teresa Cosper last year about some of her experiences. Have you, have you experienced discrimination or just flat out racism that has kind of shaped your views of the field? It's been multifold. It's been across different kinds of, I like to talk about racism as a having kind of different expressions. So there are like three or four expressions of racism, one which is interpersonal, there's the uh, systemic and and the institutional. And I've experienced racism within VetMed um, in, in all those facets. Um, so I've, I've witnessed, for example, things that have happened to me and things that I've witnessed where one of the big ones, right, is not seeing anyone who looks like you within, within yeah. the profession and then wondering why is that? Why isn't it that, that students of color are not getting admitted to veterinary colleges or veterinary technician programs? Um, why aren't we addressing that? It's also looking at how clients of color are treated, what they're offered. And in some cases, I've witnessed clients of color, people making assumptions about what I can afford, actually, or what other clients of color can afford and, and making kind of uh, recommendations for our animals that are kind of subpar what they might offer somebody else, right? Because there's an assumption there that I may not take care of my animal well, or that the client doesn't have the resources or isn't a good pet owner. Some of those things, you know, comments from clients for sure. I had one woman who said that her dog doesn't like black people and so that I can't touch her dog. Um, and here I am trying to help her dog. And and I remember just that was early on in my career. I remember walking out of the room and saying something like, I'm just going to go get the doctor now and walking out of the room and telling the doctor that story and and she going in there and dealing with the clients. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm not sure what she said to that client or if that client ever came back. But I just remember we kind of just didn't talk about it. And then I would say that the most salient experiences, you know, there have been there have been others experiences. I, I worked with a colleague who was a Latin American, an immigrant, and he um, spoke about ways in which he was often given cases, emergency cases that were less complicated by doctors, that they would assign him less complicated tasks because they did not think that he could handle them. And it wasn't necessarily about his skill set because, I mean, he was like a mentor to me. He was incredible. Um, and he was, you know, here I am looking at someone who has a degree, who's been a tech for a long time, who's worked in emergency, and people thinking that he's not capable. He has a thick accent. People thinking that he's not capable um, and not giving him complicated cases. And, and that kind of barring his growth as a technician mm, yeah, too, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. when you don't get access 
access to the the complicated cases. It, it limits what you can do, what you can put on your resume, what you go on to do, um, what you learn. Um, so I've witnessed things happening to other people, darker skinned black women than me that I've worked with, um, experiencing kind of vitriol that, that I myself um, have not experienced and and or almost accepting like not not accepting, but kind of being forced to accept really treatment that is disrespectful. Uh, and in addition to that, I think what's been most salient, what I was saying is, for me, it's been the the structural pieces, the the institutional policies, hospital policies, and organizational things that that have really kind of for me been more powerful and more troubling experiences of racism within the veterinary profession, coupled with with classism too. Like I think when multiple isms combine um, to, to harm someone, it's it's just so much more heartbreaking and so much more just frustrating. And and for me, you know, it was the reason I left. It was for five years I did not step foot as a technician in a hospital, not even as a relief technician. It was like a confluence of events. Part of it, the the main reason was racism and classism and organizational policy um, that was being directed at me and feeling powerless to do anything about it. And then part of it too was that, you know, I wanted to grow. I wanted to learn other things. I wanted to do more than what I was doing. And um, there wasn't any mentorship for that. And and part of it was the pay. I mean, I had a I had a dog who recently passed who had a precursor targeted immune mediated anemia. Um, so PIMA is a non-regenerative anemia. And he also had myelofibrosis. Um, and both of these things are very rare. I think something like 300 cases in the last 40 years. And that's, you know, assuming that that's because it's actually rare or it's because people don't go so far. It's just as not diagnose. diagnosed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it could be that. But it, he, he also had a severe FAS behavioral issues. We were seeing a veterinary behaviorist ahead of him getting, you know, chronically ill with anemia. It cost a fortune. This dog cost a fortune from the very beginning that I rescued him. He cost a fortune. And it's, it says something that with that me working within vet med, I still couldn't afford his care, you know? Right. Um, right. And so to step away from veterinary medicine meant that I could I could give my dog a better life. Um, huh. And um, so that was so, uh, it's so ironic. It's yeah. so oh. ironic. And that was that was part of my reason for for stepping away was I couldn't afford his care. I couldn't afford rent, the cost of living. Um, so I needed to to think about that. And part of the salary conversation that ties back to some of the policies and actually policies around licensure and all of that were part of that. And so it was like this last nail in the coffin when I when I stepped away from vet med in 2015. I broke down because like after nearly 10 years, how do you like, this was part of my identity. You know, I was like, right. this is who I am. I don't know how to be anybody else. And it, it felt hard. It felt hard, like leaving a career that really was explained who you were at your core. Mm. Um, and I always said when I started, oh, I'm never going to be one of those people that goes into human medicine. I'm never going to be one of those people <laughs> who leaves. Right. And I was this thing of like, I'm never going to be one of them. And it's funny because people leave for so many different reasons. And and one of the reasons obviously is is the pay and, and the turnover and the burnout, the emotional toil of this work. But something that one of my colleagues actually said at the time was so helpful in helping me refrain. She's, uh, reframe it. She said, Melody, you're not leaving. You're just putting it down for a little bit because mm. you need to you need to put it down for a little bit. Just put it mm. down for a little bit and you can pick it back up when you're ready because it's always going to be here waiting for you. And I was like, whoa, 
what? Yes. Um, And that's kind of how I found my way coming back. Honestly, Um, I was busy. My hands were busy with my dog waffles, um, for sure. For two years, we battled anemia, five transfusions. I mean, it was it was a whole, uh, you know, biopsies, core biopsies, ultrasounds. It was a whole like thing for two years. And that's that's also with a dog who had, you know, was very aggressive, um, very reactive. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to do a transfusion on those kinds of dogs. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it took he was 30 pounds and it took like 600 milligrams of gabapentin just to knock him out <laughs> and trazodone and clonidine and uh, fluoxetine like it was. And sometimes alfaxalone. I mean, it was it wow. was totally worth it. He was a very rewarding dog to have. It was totally worth it. But I had my hands full with that. And yeah. and I was able to enter, you know, now I feel like a lot of a lot of technicians don't realize that there's so much more out there for us. You know, we hear a lot about DVMs who go on to do relief, who go on to teach, who go on to do all of these amazing things. And it's like, we can do that too. We can do that too. And as a relief tech and as a volunteer, I'm able to enter the profession in a way that feels more supportive of me. Um, and my needs and more supportive. And I can be choosy. I mean, especially now, you know, I think you can, you can have your pick of any veterinary job out there, but, um, you can be choosy about why should I come work for you? You know, what is the environment and culture like here? Is it going to be supportive? If a client says, you can't touch my dog, what do you do? What are you going to say to me? What are you going to say to the client? You know, mm-hmm. I want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of questions I ask in interviews because, I need to know that my uh, staff has my back. So yeah, so kind of leaving was was to this was a long way of answering your question. Kind of stepping away was <laughs> was uh, was about racism and classism and and really about institutional policies. Um, and I think it's interesting, kind of ironic, that the reason that I left for a while is it, it then kind of transformed into me actually doing work over the last five years that would have helped me when I was a vet tech, you know? So I've, I've now stepped into this role where I was like, I was a vet tech. I did all this DEI work, have become a a consultant, um, you know, sought after for, for expertise and training and and facilitation and coaching, um, and, and really helping in HR, helping people build out policies and systems that support people of color and support people across identities. And here I am coming back to the profession. You know, now, now that my dog's passed, I have more time, um, but coming back to the profession and being able to offer up the very things that I needed five years ago. Yeah, you, you know? you've, you've left the field to help fix the problems you were having in the field yeah. from yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been a really it's been a roller coaster and for a long time I really like grappled with like am I even a vet tech if I'm not working in a hospital anymore? You know, still getting my yeah. CE and 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 keeping my license up, but I was like am I really a vet tech if I don't do this, if I don't do that? And I am. I mean, I I had patient 0, my own dog <laughs> um at home. He couldn't be hospitalized, so everything had to happen. Hospice had to happen at home. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just again, I just think that there are non-traditional pathways even for us as technicians and assistants, there's just so much more, so much that we can offer to this profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not agree with this, but all of that, but especially that last sentiment too, about just there's so much more that we can do than just clinic life. Melody, we've covered a lot of ground today. And honestly, Dave and I could keep talking about this for hours <laughs> because this has just been such wonderful discussion. So may- maybe if, if somewhere down the road, if you'd be open to it, we'd love to have you back on just to continue this discussion. But I'm curious if there's anything we didn't cover today about any of these topics or discussions that you would like to get out to our listeners, you know, that we just either 
glossed over, didn't touch on at all? Is there anything out there that we missed today that you want to get out to, to the caffeinators? Yeah, I just I just want to tell people, you know, in this work, I think it's important if you have if you have coworkers of color, you know, in your clinic setting or wherever you work in your school setting, you know, whatever it is that you do is is to really do some of that internal work yourself to to read up on things, to understand what is happening within this profession, um, why particularly people of color don't feel welcome in the profession, why people of black and brown people leave the profession, um, to do some of that work without, you know, without bugging your coworkers or asking them to, to share their vulnerable stories with you, they may not feel comfortable doing that. But I think part of the work starts with, you know, noticing that that's a thing, acknowledging it and doing some personal work around that. Everyone can do some personal work around understanding race, understanding racism, understanding how, how we can, how we perpetuate it, whether you're white or whether you're kind of uh, doing the work. I like to say people of color can also do the work of racism, even though we can't be racist, we can, we can help perpetuate racism by being anti-black or by um, not standing up, not saying things when, when we're needed to, to say things. And, and I just think people need to, you know, really like, let's shake things up. Change is scary, but it is necessary. It's the only reason we as human beings are, are still here on this planet is we've evolved, we've changed. And I think it's time for our profession to kind of catch up. And I think that, that that only happens when we do the work. You know, we can't wait for other people to do it. I think it takes it takes all of us doing a little bit or doing a lot to really um, move our profession where it needs to go for people in this profession, um, for it to become more diverse, more inclusive, more equitable, and for it to serve a wider population of, of our communities, you know? And I always say to people of color, is like, hold your head up high. You belong here. You belong in this profession. You were made for this profession. And, and to like lift each other up and hold each other up, you know? I do a lot of work talking to young people, to students students who want to be vets or want to be veterinarians, uh, veter veterinary technicians. And I say like mentor people, you know, um, demystify this, this, this job to others and, and support each other, really support each other. Um, because I think we can, we can have a profession that deals with a lot of the issues that we're dealing with by addressing race, by addressing class and gender and sexuality, all of these issues, we can, we can really come together to address this, the problems within our profession by, by doing our own work and then supporting each other and amplifying those stories. Hmm, excellent. Something else that we like to be asking our guests now, uh, this is something that Jeff heard on another podcast. Is there a person you would like to see us interview or either a topic that you'd like to hear us explore on a future episode? Wow, a person. Oh, I'm trying to think. You or know, just another topic. Yeah, another topic. Um, <sighs> I think the topic of race doesn't get enough coverage. And, and so I think continuing that conversation is definitely important. You know, one of the things that MCVMA is working on is the connection between mental health um, within the veterinary profession and people who hold marginalized identities. And so even even topics about mental health, right? We're looking at, we're doing a project mm -hmm. with NAMVI, uh, Not One More Vets, and the University of Tennessee's School of Social Work around understanding mental health outcomes as they relate to people of color um, and, and people with marginalized identities. And we'll be releasing the results of that soon, of that study oh, soon. Um, yeah, send us that so we can, we can yeah, share. Yeah, but I think just going, like I, I always tell people, like there's all of these topics we talk about, there's a racialized conversation that needs to happen within them um, that mm. can go a little bit deeper. And I, you know, I think one of those things, the reason that comes up for me too is shelter med is, is one of those places where these conversations happen a lot more frequently. So I think talking about shelter medicine and talking about how it intersects 
with with race and class and economics and and social socioeconomic status and all of that is a really important conversation we should be having. And yeah, I mean, as as far as gosh, there's so much. <laughs> as far as I feel like you all will never run out of content. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, it's something we worry about, but every time it comes around that we have an episode to record, like we've got a list of of a few people that we want to go with. So non traditional things. I know yeah. you've had like yeah. Liz Liz Houston on the on the podcast and a bunch of other folks on the podcast who are really doing great work out there kind of within veterinary medicine and somewhat outside veterinary medicine. And it's just, it's wonderful to, you know, I think when I first started out, I just thought like you're working small animal and that's it. Right. You know, like there's nothing else after that. And then it was like, oh, there's (laughs) ER or there's specialties. And now it's just like, oh my gosh, there's a whole world out there. There's telehealth. There's all of these things out there that are beyond what I imagined as like a baby tech. And it's just, for me, I think it can feel really, it can feel like you should, there's not, there's not enough room to grow. And I think that it just depends on what direction you want to grow in. The, there's whole worlds out there. Like I've looked into doing hospice work and social work within veterinary medicine. And I'm just wowed, wowed by the opportunities to go beyond clinical practice or to remain in clinical practice and, and embed it with a lot of really rich experience outside of, outside of it. So, Excellent. yeah. I hope you all never run out of content because I love your podcast. <laughs> we, we hope we don't run out either. <laughs> so we're about out of time tonight. But before you go, I know you've listened to a few episodes. So, you know, there's a would you rather question coming your way. Are you ready for it? Yes. And a little okay. scared. <laughs> don't, don't be scared. Um, you don't ever actually have to do any of these things. Right. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's just the choice. You know, you're like, yeah. I've got to make the right choice. <laughs> all right. Would you rather sing for Simon Cowell? Or cook for Gordon Ramsay. Oh my God, uh, this sounds easy. I would rather sing for Simon Cowell. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because my uh, so fun fact is, I my first major in school was theater, so I'm actually ah. very, ah. very, 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 very comfortable in front of a crowd. Okay. Um, and I'm also a singer. I took I took uh, professional singing lessons as all throughout my oh, childhood. Wow. So I I feel like I can withstand Simon Cowell's ire. I am a terrible, and my partner will tell you, I am a terrible cook. Terrible. Like, I don't think I could live down Gordon Ramsay's, like, <laughs> I think he could look at me just the, the right way and I would, I would shrivel up and, and feel terrible. So, um, I, I have a, you're, you're hearing in my voice now, even the fear of cooking. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I would, I would definitely withstand Simon Cowell to avoid Gordon Ramsay for sure. Excellent. Excellent. That's awesome. <laughs> you all don't want to try my cooking, you know, I make a, I make, I make a mean bowl of cereal. Let me tell you. All right. All right. I love it. I love it. Well, Melody, thank you so much for taking some yes, time out so to, much. to come by the Vet Tech Cafe and talk to us all about all of this. We we really enjoyed the discussion, and we hope to to you know continue this conversation in many different ways, um, you know, as 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 we move forward here. But thank you just so much for uh, for coming out and talking about MCVMA and and all the work that is going on behind the scenes that that people just don't hear about, they don't see, and and it's really important work, and we're we're grateful that it's happening, and we definitely want to be part of bringing that to the people and and helping get that message out there so so thank you very much yeah thank you so much for having me it's been an honor to be here with you today well thank we're you. happy to have you yes absolutely <laughs> all right well thank you guys uh, very much for tuning in today caffeinators we hope you guys are well and we'll talk to you guys again soon bye guys
Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website, www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.